Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Culture. Hello everyone, welcome to A New Winter, Cults and Culture, and today we're going to be comparing the original Ring to the remake of the Ring. And you may know and may have heard me talking about this on the podcast Japan on Film, which I guested on, and that was really great. So I thought for those who don't want to listen to two hours of it, I'm going to just basically um, make a little mini episode here of what I thought of both films. And again, if you want to hear me converse with someone, listen to the Japan on Film podcast Otherwise, continue listening to this one because I am just going to throw information and thoughts and feelings about both of those films right here. And I'm interested to know what uh, you guys think as well. And if you thought um, one was better than the other or if after hearing this um, you've changed your mind or maybe you watched both recently and your opinion now differs having watched them, you know, in a more mature mindset which is basically kind of what happened to me. Um, I am now streaming this live on Twitch as well. Uh, so you can come and visit us on twitch.tv slash new winter. I think that's the address. Um, I still need to double check that, but I'm streaming it right now. So no time to check. So yeah. So let's talk about ring. <laughs> どんな見てるか聞いたことある私が聞いたのは何回嫌い怖い女の人が映ってお前は一週間後に死ぬってそういうのなんですけどビデオ見た子がいてその子を彼氏と車で連鎖してて死んだってそんな死に方じゃないわ
And part of the haunting is that she, you hear someone counting to nine and instead of hearing 10, you hear this horrible scream. So it's a pretty cool horror story. And obviously the well being quite key to that and key to the ring. Uh, There are other versions of this story where she comes out of the well um, and things like that. Maybe it's a different number of plates, but in the end, the the principle, the same story's uh, there. So apparently um, it's also based on the uh, Japanese folktale of an onryo, I think is how you say it, and that's basically, and the grudge did this with Juon, a Japanese ghost that basically manifests after dying in a rage and it comes back to seek vengeance. Um, So it's a mixture of all these Japanese uh, folk horror stories put together and that went into this 1991 book by Koji Suzuki and then it got turned into a film. Now, uh, the difference here is that when I watched the original film, I really liked it, to be honest, but um, I thought it was something to do with Video Nasties. And I was like, well, it's towards the end of the 90s. And Video Nasties is very 80s. But now that knowing the book is in 1991, which meant it's written during the 80s, it now makes sense that Video Nasties was still a thing. For those who don't know, the video nasties is basically um, when all these like horror and uh, B movie and Z movie kind of films came out that was all gore and, you know, disgusting stuff. And it got a lot of people scared because what's happening is they were being released on VHS, which anyone could get. And yeah. And the people were worried that their kids were watching it. And it was all this like horrible, like disgusting stuff that was just being released. And, you know, it's going to mess up kids' brains and oh, it's all disgusting. And they were called video nasties. And there was a whole like thing about them. And obviously because it being gory and horrible, horror got a lot of the backlash for that. Um, but now they're really collectible. If you can find some good old video nasties, video drone was another film that's quite similar, which had someone going into a TV. So, um, but that was kind of all about video nasties as well. And if you want an example, I think probably the biggest video nasty um, was Evil Dead, uh, the original, not Evil Dead 2. So, um, yeah, just to give you an example of what was happening at that time. So let's go into the first film. I'm going to go through the entire film and I'll kind of talk about it as um, I'm going through it, but also give you a few thoughts about it afterwards. So the first ring, it um, it right from the off, it's kind of, it's bringing you straight in so it opens out on water now water is very very key obviously for both not just because of the fact that she's trapped in a well which spoilers if you haven't figured that out you don't know anything about it that's kind of how it ends i just presume everyone knows about it but also water as anyone who studied gcse or whatever the equivalent is america um, in america uh, english is is death in any kind of poem when it's talking about water it's talking about death the big infinite so it opens out on water and what's quite cool is it then turns to static. Not So not only is there a visual um, blend here, but there's also like an audio blend. So basically it's now associating water as death to the static of a TV, which is also death as we know, which, which is what happens. So from the very off, the very first shot, it's made that connection in your head, whether you know it or not. That's what's happened. Quite interesting, right? So then what happens is in in the original film, we actually come out of the TV and, you know, we, I think it's like a baseball game or something that's out. So we're in it static and then it suddenly turns and we slowly pan out, um, zoom out. Uh, so that's interesting because we're, we're coming out of the TV, which is, you know, 
um, Sakura, I think is her name, is her um, realm as such. And also it's kind of, you know, remember you're watching this on a screen, so you're doing the same. But also what, what does Sakura do? She comes out of the TV and that's exactly what we're doing here. We've now come into this other world and maybe we started in this world of death and horror and it was all black and white and disgusting and everything. So we're kind of associating with Sakura at this point. Very strange. Anyway, a lot, a lot is said just in those first few seconds. Um, and I think it's really interesting. I think, and also one of the things that I would say is that you'll notice that when sound, when you hear any sounds or scary sounds and all this stuff, you'll notice that they're drenched in, and that's a good use of the term there that I've made, <laughs> they're drenched in reverb and echo and stuff like that because it's supposed to sound like you're trapped down a well. So as you watch that, just keep that in the back of your mind. So yeah, it's interesting. So the sound of static and all this stuff sounds like running water as well. You're just making those associations. So yeah, so we, um, we've already bridged basically the two realities through this TV, the spirit world within this TV and the real world, which is actually the world that we're watching. So it's two girls, two school girls, and they're talking about this legend. Um, so what's quite cool here is that it's immediately setting up the rules. The rules of which is that you watch it, you get a phone call, seven days, it tells you you're going to die in seven days and you die. So they joke about it, but then, and it's a bit like scream this, you know, someone on the other line and it's like, you know, it's trying to be a bit fun and playful, but then there's that like quite um, disturbing undertone around throughout the whole thing. So it's also making it relatable to the audience. And I think that this kind of teen audience would have been the ones in the actual audience at the time who kind of watched this kind of stuff. Um, so it's interesting. So anyway, they kind of fly a false flag here, right? Because they suddenly do a thing of like, oh, you know, she's like, what? It's true. It happened. So then there's this like, oh my God, it's like, it's a threat. And, you know, it's a real thing. And then she jokes and it's like, oh, right, it's not. So you feel comfortable again. And then it is again. <laughs> and then it turns right back around and then all of a sudden it becomes scary again. So, and that's what the film does. I suppose it's what the book does as well, even though I've not read it. I imagine this is kind of the thing of where it will think that you're safe and it will turn it around. Hence coming out the TV and things like that. It plays with what your idea of a comfort zone is. It plays what your idea of a normal horror narrative might be. Um, and yeah, it's, it's super interesting the way they, the way they do that. So they're taking in this roller coaster of emotions right from the off. Um, and you basically realize that you can't trust this movie. You can't trust what's real and what's being told as the truth. Um, so yeah, literally the, the truth and realities are being distorted. Um, the tension's turned on and off like a switch. It's great. So yeah, already you're kind of on tender hooks as it were right from the beginning. Um, and it's interesting having the rules because I think when you watch a horror film, that's something that audiences like to cling on to, which is that even in these like worlds where things don't make sense, there's something that grounds it. And that's something you can cling on to and just hold on to it. And then when those things are broken, and I'll come on to that on the Ring remake, it makes it a lot more scarier and it can be a good or a bad thing depending on how they do it. So having this like whole thing of like there being a week, it means that there's now this like ticking clock, right? So with these schoolgirls, then they're now like in a threatened position um, now and that, you know, and they were kind of like chilling out and hanging around. And now, yeah, we've got this kind of 
ticking clocks. It's been almost a week since she watched this video. So, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh shit. And the good thing, if you remember what Hitchcock says about the, um, there's this cool um, thing he talks about when he talks about storytelling, which is like the ticking clock, the, t- the bomb under a desk. And it's something that the audience know about. Um, and, you know, something the characters don't. And it just doesn't quite work the same way, but it's interesting because it still kind of works. Um, you have to have that bomb blow up. So you can't just have a ticking clock and then it go to nothing because that will infuriate the audience. They want that kind of satisfaction. And it adds so much more tension to a scene having this ticking clock. And this is exactly what Ring does. And it does pay off as well. So, yeah. So there's bits, there's moments where the tension's there and then it's not. There's a phone call, it's the mother. Um, and they play with the sound here. Like the phone ringing is like just crazy loud compared to the rest of the sound. Um it also the sound of the phone ringing feels like a lot faster and more urgent maybe that's me maybe it's a subconscious thing but again it's playing with the audience expectation it's playing with tension so the tv then switches on again and it plays this again quiet loud dynamic which runs throughout it's quite a quiet film the first film but so that when these things happen it really does make an impression on you um and so and there's a baseball match on that i think the parents are at at that time so you, you hear the static again which is cool the girl senses something's behind her. We can't see it. And that's it. It cuts to like this negative, um, like a film negative being exposed, which again is quite apt, a visual thing. Um, and you imagine that she's died, right? You hear this kind of scream. Then we have this reporter who's our heroine. Um, Reiko, I think is her name. And uh, forgive me if it's not. So she works in TV and you know that's again i guess it's something to do with the whole tv thing um and there's these rumors if you watch late night tv she appears so again it's like a folk tale maybe something's there to deter kids from staying up late it's you know interesting but anyway she looks into the stories of um she's looking into the stories of how these kids are dying whatever and she finds that there's actually some truth to it um and it's actually her you find out it's her uh, niece. So um, her son, who you, who you meet in a second, her son's cousin, um, who was the one that we just saw that died. So uh, this little interplay we have between the mum and the son is interesting. The son is weird, but cute in the same way. He's very organised. He's the one actually looking after his mum. He's like a little man, basically. He's got his mum's yeah, clothes ready. There's a sadness to him and they have this weird relationship where it doesn't feel like they're mother and son, right? It feels like they're friends. Um so yes, yeah, so we go to the funeral, the, the kid, you know, then they talk about, oh, there's a closed coffin. It's really, it's a weird circumstances. They don't really understand what happened. The boy um, wanders off and it's like, and the music is like, he's almost being called, um, which, you know, comes into play a bit later. And then again, you start hearing the sounds of a well and it's echoes and there's, you know, there's lots of it. Um, and then, yeah, you find out that, um, all these kids that went to this like party or something all died at the same time. So mad. And then you get, um, you get a look of, you get like a flash of what their faces were like. And they're all like disgusting and horrible and scream screaming. Um, and again, you kind of notice here, and this is the tone of the film, very muted colors, lots of shadows, very quiet. There's hardly any music throughout the whole film really. And there's a lot of playing with depth, and I think that with the ring, the original ring, they play with depth in the same way that, you know, there's like, she's trapped in a well. Um, the shots generally aren't very flat. And also everything seems to, 
for the most part, everything's mostly in focus. Um, so yeah, don't know, it's just quite interesting something to pick up on. So yeah, so um, this is when uh, uh, God, Rico notices that all the photos are warped. So like, you know, they can't get a normal photo of your face. Um, and yeah, so the kid says something uh, to her about um, the video. Uh, so he knows about it. Um, and I think the cousin had maybe talked about it or whatever. And then we see like the date comes up. Now these dates coming up saying like, you know, Monday, whatever the thing of February, whatever it is, are important as well, because again, it's constant, there's a constant reminder, especially in this first film, rather than the second film, that you're running out of time. Uh, time is key here. Um, doesn't happen so much in the second film. This film, say second film, the remake, this film, it's very much there. So she follows this story um, of the cousin to this place in Itsu, I want to say, where the photos were taken. Um, and so she's, you know, I mean, what is a TV to people? It's the idea of safety, it's comfort. You can watch things, you don't have to worry about it because it's not, it's not real, it's not there. And all of this just kind of gets turned on its head. Um, it's interesting. So anyway, she stays in the room that they were staying in and she sees lots of tapes and there's one that seems to be like kind of calling out to her. Now, you'll, you'll notice that there's this element of um, supernatural psychic abilities, a bit like how The Shining, even though it's called The Shining and The Shining is this psychokinetic um, power that Danny has, it's, it's not actually what the film's about, right? That's just like an added element to the film. It's more, it's like a ghost haunted house story, if anything, and the dad going crazy. And it just so happens that the kid has his psychic abilities. So it's a bit like this. There's this whole other thing going on. But the mum, it's not so much, um, uh, uh, not the, it's not so much there. It's not explicitly said. The dad and the son, I think, is explicitly said, but not, not so much for the mum. But she has these little flashes, and this is one where she sees, yeah, the blank VHS tape calling out to her. So then we see, um, she watches the video and we see a series of, to be honest, quite cool shots. We see people like crawling, which is quite cool. We see the well um, and all these like little flashes, like an, there's an eye with some writing in it. Um, but yeah, it's this like art house looking video. Great. It's always raining in these films. So Sadako is always there. There's water always around. And we see a cool shot with the dad and the kid. And we don't know he's the dad yet at this point. Um, we, you know, we kind of, we kind of get told that a bit later, but it's just a cool shot where they're just standing, looking, facing off against each other. And you just think, who's this guy? <laughs> like, who's the son looking at? Um, and it just shows this clear separation between the dad and the kid. Now, what I learned on the Japan on Film podcast was that it's quite common in a divorce that the mum get the kid and basically the dad have nothing to do with the kid anymore. So as much as, as a Western audience are watching it thinking, oh, this is awful, what a bad man. It's like, well, that's not how Japanese culture works. So um, that's what I heard. That's what I was told. So that's quite interesting. Uh, so she's like, take my picture. So he takes her picture and all her face is all screwy. And again, cool sound design here. Like there's lots of screeching violins. Everything feels like it's being pulled. It's very tense. It's great. So he watches the film and there's, they wait for a call, but there's no phone call. So he asks for a copy to be made. And she'll say, she says, yeah, fine. She'll, she'll get him a copy and she'll look into who was actually, who stayed there before. And the dad's like, well, you know, someone had to have made it right. So 
yeah, it's it's interesting. So as well, the last shot of this well, just this wide shot is so great, such a great shot because it just draws you in this clearing. You're just wondering what's in there and you're really like apprehensive about what that might be. It's just, it's, so it's drawing you in already just by being there. Um, and yeah, next shot, there's like a fountain again, water everywhere. We see the dad sitting in the park. He hears, and this is what, this is one of the things I didn't really understand when I'm going back to it, but it all kind of like quiets down a bit as he's having his lunch or whatever. We hear some shoes tap against the um, street and there's like, again, there's an echo. And then he's like, did you do this? He says to whoever this person is. And we don't know. Yeah. We don't really know what he's on about. Um, I still don't know what he's on about. I don't know if that's supposed to be the mum from later on. Why are we seeing these high heeled shoes? I'm not really sure who in this um, scene this is supposed to be. So I'd be quite interested for anyone out there to kind of tell me what this scene's about because it just feels superfluous. I'm not really sure. Apart from the fact that maybe it's to show he's a bit psychic, I'm not really sure why he's talking, He's who that's supposed to be that he's talking to. So he watches the copy that, um, copy that she makes and yeah, and she notices that, oh, she's like, oh, the, there should be, the, you should be able to see the cameraman in the mirror unless it's special effects. So again, she's pointing out the fact that it's all just that little bit weird. Um, and we see a student come in to visit him and she's very timid. The whole thing seems to be a bit weird. So I imagine it's his girlfriend, which I think is wrong, isn't it? If you're a, a teacher and you're shagging a girlfriend or whatever, um, you're one of your students. But it's not explicitly said like that, but you just kind of get the impression that that's what it is. So... There's an element where she changes his like equation on the board. So she's like a little bit mischievous. It's something she obviously feels comfortable enough to do that with him. Very, very minor touch, very visual. And it might feel like it's not needed, but it's actually quite key to their relationship. And it kind of gives you um, a little insight into uh, who they, who they are. Um, So you think it is more than just like a student and a teacher. There's obviously something going on here. So it's quite interesting. Um, So the dad asks if his son is okay alone whilst they're doing all this stuff. And the mum's like, oh yeah, he's used to it. So again, she feels like a bad mum. She's not really got this relationship with the son like she should have. So they start studying the tape, right? And they notice um, that there's like a dialect and they reverse it a little bit. And they're talking about, there's this um, thing about goblins or whatever, and then they notice that there's a volcano and they're able to track it down to Oshima Island, I think it is. Um, Mount Mirahayama, whatever it was, erupted. And there's this new story about a local woman who predicted it. And the dad is like, you know, I'll, I'm going to sort this out because you've only got four days left, according to this. And you spend time with our son. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sort it. So instead what they do is the son, the son goes to see um, her dad, grandpa and this is the first time that we've seen him smile and he's really excited and again it's water they're you know fishing um so again they're you know water's just everywhere all the time but he's the first time we've actually seen him properly happy and that's with the granddad and yeah so we find out that the um the woman uh, threw herself into this volcano 40 years ago so they're like all right let's go visit this volcano she's only got three days left he has four so they've completely bought into this idea that you know they're in danger basically they don't want to try it um and so anyway she's asleep the mum and she has someone say auntie and she's thinking 
uh, maybe it's her son, and she gets a flash of the image uh, from um, the videotape, uh, but from another angle, and it's someone pointing, and then all of a sudden there's this body, and then it just disappears next to her, um, and she opens the door and notices the boys watching the video. So it's a really great shot because as she opens the door, the camera kind of zooms in to the TV screen and the, what's on the TV screen is the well. So you're not zooming into the TV, essentially kind of zooming into the well and you start to see someone coming up. Fucking brilliant. Perfect bit of filmmaking because you're like, you're not quite sure it's the middle of the night, what's happening? All this strange supernatural stuff. There's someone pointing. I'm not really sure if that's supposed to be someone helping or something like that. It's very strange. And then just that shot where she opens it up and he's watching it. She comes in and she's holding him, crying and rushing, rushing up to him. It's great. It's really, really good. Loved it. So, um... It's, it's just completely unexpected. It's out of nowhere. The music amplifies it because, again, it's quiet, the quiet, loud dynamic. You're expecting something supernatural or a jump, but in fact, it's, you know, a jump scare or something like that, but in fact, it's even scarier. It's actually much, much more scarier. Um, and it's much more real as well. So he's now in danger. So now we've got this added thing of like, you know, there's a child endangerment here. Um, yeah. So also with her slightly coming out of the well, you see that she's progressed slightly. So we're now freaked out by what that might be. It's obviously the videotapes moved on. We didn't see someone coming out first time. It held it for much, the perfect amount of time where it kind of was like, we were expecting something and then it didn't. This time you're just seeing that end bit. So you're like, fuck, okay, cool. Um, I don't know who that was supposed to be curled up next to her. Was it supposed to be the cousin? Is it just something that's creepy? Um, is it trying to be someone that's trying to be safe and childlike? Is it... You know, is it supposed to be? I don't understand why that happened, why they showed it um, that he was watching the tape. You know, maybe it's because he might watch it and keep it secret and she needs him to know about it. I don't know. So the kid's like, she's like, why, why, why? And the kid's like, oh, Tom or Chan told me to take it. The dead cousin we saw at the beginning. So, right. The dad says, no, that's not her anymore. That's like something else. So now there's the added threat that even if you're dead, your soul is basically being taken um, or taken over. So even it, even death doesn't help you out, right? You can go your seven days and die, and that doesn't mean that you're that's the end of it. So again, there's kind of like an added risk again. Um, and so they're, they're going to this place again. They're on the water. They're in a ferry, um, and they discuss how the dad and the son share some kind of telepathy and. Yeah, and it, it's quite interesting. So she kind of blames herself as well for like starting up this whole thing because it could have just ended there with the cousin, but it didn't. And the dad is a bit like, oh, you know, people start rumours hoping they'll turn out like this. We don't know what's going on. You know, we're not sure what any of this means. You know, not really saying it's not your fault, but also saying like, you know, it. how did this happen in the first place? Um, whatever. So... They say how the island that this family used to be, um, uh, they get to this island, the family used to be this fishing business that's closed now. Again, a water-related business. Um, but then it's Japan, I guess. So, you know, you're a tiny island, really. Um, and they say that there's uh, the cousin of this woman that died and that um, he's still alive and he's got like a family and all this stuff and they own a hotel and they're going to stay there. So they talk about the woman killing herself um, after the newspapers printed stuff about her and she was called she was called a seer as she predicted the eruption and all this stuff. But then, yeah, this professor turned up, um, brought Shizuko, I think her name is, to Tokyo to experiment on her 
um, and to prove ESP exists, basically. And uh, yeah, and the dad makes a remark about media and like uh, scum or whatever. And keep in mind that she actually works for the media. <laughs> so interesting. Um, she's like, she says, oh yeah, I remember this story. Didn't someone die? And he's like, mm. so no, he doesn't really answer. He, he just says that, like, oh, the doctor disappeared and that was that. Right. One thing we do know is that um, Shizuka had a daughter and this is the daughter that we see the glimpse of, you know, from the girl in the mirror. So who we learn is the key to this whole thing. So as they come into this hotel, he opens the door after he gets this kind of like feeling, because we know he's a bit psychic now, and he sees the mirror from the video. And then the old man's there, he's the cousin to um, the, the woman that died. And the mum runs up screaming, like, out, ah! goes up to confront him about the daughter. And he turns around and says, there is no daughter. Um, and yeah, so now we see the mum's like curled up. She doesn't know what to do. And we see at the front of the shot is a watch again, making you aware there's a ticking clock. Time is of the essence. So she talks to the dad and says, look, I want you to be here with me when I die, because maybe you can learn something from the death to save Yoichi, their son. And he's like, no way. You know, the girl who, who was with, um, the cousin went mad. So that's not going to work. So they have a discussion. He's like, oh, we shouldn't have had a kid anyway. You know, he's not normal. And I think this is kind of inferring that there's this hidden power, that maybe they've got both got this power and that the kid has this power as well. And, you know, it's not right. It's not natural. Um, so it's interesting because obviously all of this is mirrored in the whole thing that's going on with the mystery they're trying to solve, which is all about ESP and stuff. And, you know, and so there's kind of like a parallel running here between her story and her family and obviously the family they're investigating um, that's kind of happening as well at the same time. So the line that they heard was frolic in brine, goblins be thine. And then we cut to like this, the old man um, who uh, was the cousin, he's like looking out to sea and he says, apparently Shizuko would uh, come day after day and talk with the sea and say something. And it wasn't human. It's quite interesting. But yeah, he says how the sea is unlucky. And then they figure out that basically the rhyme is that, you know, it's, it's about the sea, you know, basically don't play in the sea or the goblins will get you. Quite interesting, right? So the dad realises that uh, Shizuko, um, I can't remember if that's the name, could read minds uh, so that she'd know things that people didn't want known. Uh, the dad says that he has the same abilities and he blames the old man for telling the papers and calling in the doctor um, in the hope that he could make money off it, apparently. Um, so, yeah. So he asks about the daughter and how, um, you know, she should have been with her mother. And then all of a sudden he gets a flash of him being there when uh, the Shizuka gives uh, um, this demonstration, right? Then suddenly the the mum is in there too. And our, our heroine, the, the mum must have a slight power too, right? This means because she's in, she's in this thing as well. And it's been hinted at throughout the film. So we see that the um, Shizuko writes out what's being written by someone else. It's like a tele- telepathy test. And then someone stands up and says, ah, it's fraud and magic. And, you know, all of a sudden this little crowd gets angry. And then one of them dies and has this horrible face on that before. And they're like, oh, she's a witch or whatever. And, you know, the mum's blamed. But then we see um, her look around as she's talking to uh, Sadako. Um, and like, oh, no, which isn't, you know, we now know is the name of the child and, you know, Suddenly she's called a monster and in the flashback, the little girl Sadako runs and grabs our um, hero mum's wrist 
And then we look and we're in the real world and the marks are still on our skin in the real world. So it's like, you know, again, it's reinforcing the fact that, oh, this is coming into the real, the reality. Um, then we see a, see a storm coming on the horizon. Again, it's referencing the fact that there's more water coming. And yeah, so the mum believes that the doctor kidnapped the girl and that the girl would now be in her 40s. Um, the dad doesn't think that Sadako is actually alive. And again, you can kind of hear the waves in this scene. There's water like always around. And he says that the daughter's power is actually different because it's a rage. So it's like, it's a curse. And it's more than a storm. It's coming apparently. It's a typhoon, um, which is, what's that? It's basically like a water-based storm, right? So the ferries are closed and they can't go for silent. And the dad's like, we have to leave. We have to get out of here. We haven't got time. And we see these huge waves approach. So the phone rings and uh, there's there's no sign of the doctor or the girl, and the mum is in despair for her son. She doesn't know what what to do next. So she says about oh, you know, well the phone didn't ring, so um, you know maybe maybe that's okay. I don't I don't know. The old man, the cousin, says he'll help. Like this is his like way of redeeming himself. Um, he thinks it's uh, Sadako doing all this, and that maybe. Um, Maybe the whole point of this is that Sadako wants him to drown. So he's willing to kind of, you know, test that theory out. So they venture out into the sea in this boat. And um, and again, the mum is thinking about the phone ringing. She says, you know, only the phone rang at the cabin. You know, hmm, that's, that's interesting. How weird. Uh, so they find out that Sadako is actually the doctor's daughter. And that, well, she must be under the cabin, right? Because that's where the phone was ringing. So she calls Yoshi and he's all like happy and being a kid again and all this stuff. And that's, that's really lovely. And they're now running right up to the last minute now. Um, so they go back to the cabin again, smash under the cabin, they find the well. Uh, and then we see Sadako going up to the well in the flashback and she's hit over the head. It's, horrible, it's a really awful sound they use. Uh, by the doctor, who's her father, bum, bum, bum. And she's thrown down there. And um, anyway, they move the top of the well because it's sealed up and the dad ventures down and that when he goes down there you can he can see there's fingernails in the stones where you know she's tried to climb out because she was still alive down there Ugh. so they start trying to empty out the well as quickly as they can and i'm gonna be honest they don't seem to be really rushing and we see it's you know starting to get dark time's running out um and yeah, she's, and the mum here it's like one of these things where you're like come on woman get a grip she's still acting a little bit wet and uh, she passes out, for God's sake. And so he climbs back up and they swap places because, you know, she's tired, apparently. And, you know, he's like, think of Yoshi, we need to think of our son. And you get a flash of the dad um, from Sadako's perspective as well, uh, all of a sudden here. So as they're um, searching the water, she's searching the water, I'd say, she's gone in now. Uh, she finds hair and then a hand. Um, but you know, she's not, she's not scared basically, which is, you know, this is kind of like her motherly instinct almost kind of kicking in. Um, and this head comes up from out of the water. Uh, it's you, she says really sweetly almost and pulls the hair off to see a disgusting skull, which she holds close to her and, you know, she starts comforting it. So she's kind of like weirdly learnt how to be a mother through this experience. Whole thing's weird. So literally down to the last minute now, 7.10, they find the body. Um, and then we cut, police are there. The dad says, oh, maybe the doctor wasn't the dad. Maybe the dad wasn't even human. You know? And then it's suggesting that she's the spawn of Satan or something. And um, 
yeah, we see the marks are gone and he's like, oh, you know, it's over. It's all over. And they go home and they have like a little moment together and all this and everything's kind of fine. We see the dad now at home. He's smiling. He's looking at the equation that he did that the babysitter, you know, just altered earlier. So again, it's kind of reinforcing the fact like, oh, he spotted it, didn't he? He's clever. Isn't he clever? Um, And he's got this happy little life that's without his wife and child, but it's his own thing. Fine. Um, And then, yeah, so the date comes um, comes up on the screen and we see the mum at the balcony. So immediately we're like, as an audience, we're like, oh, that's weird because he said it was over and now the date's come up. You know, surely that's not a good sign. Maybe it's not over. And her face tells us something is wrong. So we're like, you know, oh, okay, we, we thought everything was cool and this was the end, but now we're getting drawn back in. What's happening? Um, and, yeah, he's doing his mouth in English, which I thought was quite weird, the, the dad. And then all of a sudden, doom, TV's on and there's the well. And we just see something climb out. And this is the money shot, really. She's, like, walking all broken and all very weird. She's really, like, tall and lanky and... um yeah, the phone rings as the girl keeps coming and it's, you know, the mum trying to get in, trying to get through. And then she comes through the fucking TV, uh, the, the ring girl, Sadako. And to me, she looks a bit clean here. I think the idea is that she's like the, a ghost. So she's like got this very white, complete, everything's like pure white, kind of going into the myth. But her fingernails are gone. Um, and I believe it's kind of filmed in reverse. I did a short film called Bloom, which you can actually go and see it if you want to, um, online. And I filmed that in reverse so that it kind of makes things look a bit weird when played forward, um, if that makes sense. And yes, yeah, it's quite interesting. I don't know if they did that here uh, to make it look strange. But yeah, he's kind of, the dad's kind of just like bumbling about. It's just not really doing anything. And then she's like standing there and then they've got that shot of her eye that's like ugh, so horrible. And that's it he's dead um the son yoshi seems to sense something and uh yeah but um we see the body's been taken away or whatever and the students there the babysitter who's like lying on the ground it's like oh his face his face so she's obviously you know she walked in on him and she's upset and then we hear a vo asking like why the curse isn't lifted you know then she takes the video and then as she looks into the tv because she's at, she's at the flat now, she sees a reflection of the man, the man with this weird hood thing pointing to the bag. And then it's pointing to her bag and she looks and, um, yeah, she realised that she made a copy. And essentially this is almost like the beginning of viral videos, isn't it? Um, so what she needs to do is she needs the son to make a copy. And so like a rumour, like the dad was talking about, it spreads. We see her drive off, realising that, you know, she'll do anything to save her son now, basically, and putting him first above everything, and that now she's like a mum. She's out to save her son. So it's weirdly hopeful, um, and she's actually put her dad in the firing line, so now she's going to have to get her dad to make a call. She's like, Dad, we need to make a tape, basically, whatever. So it's really weird, but what's really strange is that we've end The ring is that, essentially, we've ended how we began, Right? apart from the dad dying, obviously, but nothing's actually changed. She's not ended the curse. She's not lifted it. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's it forever. And I think we're just going to be in this, in this circle that never ends. Um, I mean, the change being that she's become more of a mother, maybe appreciates her son more. 
which is really what this is about, I guess. And then, yeah, and then that's it. End credits. And it's so typical 90s dance music. Um, there's end credit sequence, what I'm finding over the top. I loved it. So, yeah, so I was just thinking about it, this this film generally, like, it's kind of like before social media, right? But there's an element of that to it. And it's worth keeping in mind that the book was written earlier than the film came out. It's written in like the early 90s. So like VHS Nasties was still a thing. VHS Nasties, Video Nasties was still a thing. Um, piracy was obviously a thing as well back then with tapes. And yeah, so, you know, those things were kind of relevant at that time when the book was released. Um but I like the idea and how it plays with like borders from, an, you know, as a terms of an art form, like where our reality is, where things begin and end and how it kind of plays around with that. It's interesting. I wonder what like the, what hair means in Japan. Cause I always thought it was kind of like, you know, like brushing your hair was a sexual thing. And there's an element where like in the book, at least uh, Sadako is more like a, she's a teenage girl and that she's promiscuous in the books. Like the, I, I think there's an idea that, is it that she's got male and female genitalia or did they make that up? I can't remember, but I think it's the idea that she sleeps around a little bit as well. Um, yeah. So maybe the long hair is something to do with that as well. don't know. Maybe uh, is that a Japanese cultural thing that I'm getting misunderstood? Um, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Does maybe Japan feel like it's trapped in a well because it's isolated, right? And it's reaching out and it's been experimented on, you know, when you think of Hiroshima and all this stuff. Um, as the obvious motifs, water 
is a well-known motif for death within writing circles. Um, so yeah, it's no, no, uh, surprise then this is in a well and there's a lot to do with the sea. Um, it's thought of as a horror, but to be honest, I think of it more as like a nineties mystery thriller, you know, the same way, like the first mission impossible was like a nineties thriller. It wasn't, it wasn't really an action movie until the second one. It's just had elements of action to it. Um, obviously it's about her dealing with motherhood. Uh, and it's not really explained why her and the dad aren't together. Um, when I did this on Japan on film podcast, um, the host kindly explained that it's usually when a couple don't really divorce, like obviously it's still kind of frowned upon or whatever, but normally what happens is if it does happen, the dad is just out of the, their lives. So it's the way we're like looking, going, why isn't he like spending more time with his kid or whatever and all this stuff. Apparently that's just a cultural thing whereby like if you split with your wife and kid, like you're gone, basically. That's it. Uh, you're expected to just not be a part of their life anymore. It's quite interesting. Um, uh, yeah, so it's a bit like The Shining because the, the B story is actually the supernatural powers, right? Like they have supernatural powers, like they're psychic or whatever. But yeah, it's never really explained or talked about and a bit like The Shining where The Shining is... Um, yeah, it's kind of like a B story to the fact that it's a haunted house film. Uh, you know what I mean? A bit weird. So um, there's a thing, it's also like age old Japanese traditions versus modern culture, the fear of technology. You know, it's viral like nature. And this was before viral videos, obviously. Um, I imagine it's also about the pressures of a modern woman, you know, independent working single mother, the pressures they have, the anxieties that come with that, especially since he's watching the equivalent of a video nasty, isn't he? Like when she walks in on him watching it. Um, so yeah, I think maybe it's the case of just trying to be a traditional mother in a modern world. Uh, also the dad essentially doesn't really continue his role as an actual father, does he? He kind of is like, right, okay, cool, we're all done, see ya. And he dies. Um, so I don't know, perhaps there's something to do with that and him being not taking his responsibility as a father properly. And that's why he's died. Don't know, who knows? Um, yeah, if you could believe it, in Hong Kong, it actually beat the, the Matrix in the box office. Uh, so it did really, really well, um, you know, for like a little Japanese film. Um, and I really like the way that it's like, it's very muted. Like there's no actual colour in the whole thing. Um, and it feels very much like of that time, like a lot of these 90s thrillers were that kind of muted, um, you know, colour palette, really. Uh and yeah, I just like the idea, like a TV for, you know, culturally is like a, a safe window into another world, right? Into the past, you could say. It's there for us to like observe. There's a, yeah, there's a comforting safety about it. And so, you know, especially when you're watching this on an actual screen, the idea that it's kind of broken that down is, you know, very interesting. And there was also the thing, you know, when people say, um, I believe in Japanese culture, when you take a picture, when you film something, whatever, it used to be that you were, taking their soul right so that kind of works doesn't it that it's kind of on this tape um so yeah that's it um it was uh it was an interesting experience and i think that it kind of sets it up nicely for the u.s ring the 2002 remake so let's take a break and we'll talk about that so now we move over to the 2002 remake of ring called ring starring lovely, lovely Naomi Watts and directed by Gore Verbinski, who went on to weirdly do the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, 
But yeah, uh, interestingly, I hated this film when I went to see it on the cinema. And when I watched it back, I probably liked it more than the original. And that's very strange for me. Because that this videotape that kills you when you watch it. You start to play it, that's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. So we begin with this and it's raining outside, obviously water, death, etc. Samara is her name at this moment, the the girl, not Sadako, but um, she's obviously around constantly and rain and wetness generally um, showing that there's this ever presence of her. So we see these two girls watching TV discussing about uh, government conspiracies and talking about how they're, you know, all these waves are going through you and through your heads. Um, and that's an interesting way to start it, I thought. Uh, just the simple fact that it's like, okay, it's beginning on a thing where it's like, maybe it's a government thing. Um, you know, don't trust anything. Um, but yeah, and it's, I think it's trying to explain a little bit of the the kind of magic behind the way that, you know, she's killing people. And essentially that like, oh, it's like, you know, waves are traveling through your head all the time. So maybe she's like, just a wave. She's traveling on these waves, but whatever. Um, so one of them talks about tape that kills you and the other one gets upset. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I saw the tape. I, oh my God, I can't believe it. Now she's really scared. And then they're like, yeah, the game wasn't, we're there to, we recorded the game, but the game wasn't on the tape. It was something else. It was a week ago tonight. And then she starts choking and you see that she's pretending. So it's done that thing again, like the first film where it's like, oh, just joking around, whatever, and trying to put you into a full sense of security. And then the phone rings and, you know, she's terrified. And then she only, she works out that it's like, did that actually happen? And she's like, yeah, um, I'm actually terrified because that did actually happen. It's really scary. So the audience are already in this state of distrust. And this is something that kind of continues through the film of what you can believe is real, what's genuine as well. So they're messing around with each other um, and all this stuff. And like, oh, hi, mum. And they see the TV come on in the reflection, dunk, which is a bit scary. And then you've got that horrible, awful sound of static, which I love because just that in itself just is quite scary and uncomfortable. Switches it off and it comes back on again. She pulls the power and then you see your reflection move in the screen. And then suddenly the fridge door opening. And again, you're hearing these like echoey reverby sounds that sound like they're coming from a well, which is pretty cool. And yeah, and she sees water on the floor in the hallways. And there's a cool shot of the screen with the well on and it zooms in and then it zooms in on the girl and her face gets like bleh, basically um, in the last few moments. And we see like, we see the eye like at the end of the ring. Um, so it's all like these images that are just kind of like, done at once. It's really weird and horrible, but it's quite cool. Works really well. And uh, then we get introduced to Naomi Watts, who's walking into her kid's classroom swearing. Great mum already as a start. It's kind of thing of just like, look how bad she is as a mother. Um, and also, how amazing does she look here? She's so gorgeous. Anyway, she's like, oh yeah, sorry I'm, sorry I'm late. And um, still swearing down the phone. Teacher uh, discusses about the dead cousin and says, you know, um, it's delicate and you know, she says, you know, just because he's quiet, it doesn't mean that he's got nothing to say. 
And she shows um, her pictures that he's been drawing of like a woman buried. And there's one of uh, this woman under the sea. And they're like, oh, he's probably the cousin. But it's like, these are from a week ago. These, you know, this wasn't the other day. Um, so, yeah, and that's like, ooh, spooky, cool. Then this kid is probably the creepiest thing in the whole film. <laughs> he's such a weird little kid. I'll be interested in what he looks like now, to be honest. Um, and he's talking about, you know, how much time do we have before we die? And they have this really awkward discussion about death. Um, and yeah, she says, he says, sorry, how Katie, the cousin, told him that she was going to die. Lovely, lovely stuff, isn't it? And then, yeah, he says, like, good night, Rachel, doesn't call her mum. I always thought that was a bit lame because it's like, it's such an awful disrespect to her. And it's like, this makes me want to hate the kid. Um, so I just call her mum. Like, what is it when people use, like, they're like, I'm not going to call you mother because I don't accept you as my mother because you're not really a mother to me. Instead, we're going to have a totally different relationship where we're friends, if anything. We're just roommates. And it's like, uh, stop it, please. Come on. I hate that kind of thing. Um, anyway, we see, like, next day the kid's left out her dress. Weird in itself. Um, he does his tie up. So he's kind of helping her more than the other way around. Um and yeah, we see like the dad of the um, dead daughter is just like emotionally distant. Um, and yeah, I don't, I was kind of wondering about this because I was like, is it something where it's like the men are useless basically? Like if this is compared to the last movie, this is very, very much like about strong women essentially. And um, yeah, I just wondered if this is another play to like, you know, the men in this are quite meek or like don't really get it. Um you know, aren't really in touch with the, their emotions and things like this. It's interesting. So we see uh, Katie, the cousin's face, and it's much more gruesome this time around than it was in the first film. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just it's quite interesting. Then we find out the friend is in a mental hospital now. And yeah, Naomi Watts is a lot more sassy than the Japanese mum. She's a lot more kick-ass. And that's great, you know, it's a lot more of a powerful female role because in the first one, the mum basically got sidelined as soon as the dad came on board and she just became a bit wet. Whereas with this one, Naomi Watts is like, she really is the protagonist. And then Seth from the OC is there as well, by the way. And he's like talking about the tape. He's like, they saw a tape, you know, um, and the, then everyone's dead. And they all saw it and they're all dead now. Um, yeah. So you find out there's a little bit more that's um, going on and like people apparently killed themselves, but doesn't believe it. Uh, and then the little boy's at this uh, wake and he notices there's like a water stain on the floor and he sees something in the TV. Um, and he's like, it's not her room anymore. And yeah, it's a bit creepy, but we see a pic of him smiling with her just, uh, I think it's just for, to reinforce to the audience that this is the same girl from the beginning. And it's also to show that, you know, the kid laughed once, like, but he's all like depressed. But look, he did have fun at one time in his life. Um we see lots of drawings with models' faces marked out, like rubbed out. And within all this, she finds a ticket for some photo processing. Um, and then we see the photos and then all the faces are all warped, like in the first film. So she goes to investigate um, what happened to everyone in the picture and she finds out they all died at basically the same time. So all this kind of stuff is like, you know, gearing up to what we already know. But um, yeah, she's kind of figuring it out. Uh, she talks away um, out of getting fired from her boss, which is quite funny. And she literally just shushes him away. She's like, I haven't got time to get fired. Get out of here, whatever. Um, again, just showing that she's not some pushover. The men are pretty useless again. Um, 
And yeah, it seems like she's like, I think she's an investigative reporter, um, I believe. Uh, or is it that she works for a private investigator, something like that. So she comes in to this cabin uh, where everyone had stayed, this resort, and she sees this really creepy guy working hard there. Um, and he starts with a magic trick that doesn't work. So it's quite funny. It adds a bit of light humour, which is a bit needed at this point. It's just very dark. Um, and I wonder about the tape selection here. So if you look around where the mystery tape is, you've got like Sherlock Holmes Revisited. That's solving a mystery. Quite apt here. Visitor of a New World. Could that be talking about the paranormal? Don't know what that film might be. Scent of a Woman. Haven't got anything on that. Don't know what it could be. Well, I know what it is. The Al Pacino film, but I don't know how this would work to this film. Can you smell her? <laughs> Maybe. Family Plot, which is another film. And um, yeah, and you because you find out about the guys, the father later. Maybe it's got something to do with that, that they're like a family now coming together. I don't know. Spontaneous Combustion. Um, that's probably one of the more, most apt ones. It's someone. It's about a film about someone whose parents were experimented on, and so he basically gets these pyrokinetic powers um, directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, Shattered. It's about someone trying to remember their past, and um, there's a lot of flashbacks in it. And uh, I think it's also like a car accident. Um, it's just like how some of the other kids died that you know were, were at this place as well. Open water experiences. Yeah, enough said. Um, Garden Pond Basics. Does it mean like a well? That's a, you know, that's one of the films that are there. The Looking Glass War. Apparently that's a spy thriller. Um, they've got a World War One documentary, Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and that's interesting because that's about, you know, that's about a place where nothing is evil and it's all about pleasure. Uh, I don't know what that would have to do with anything really within the film, but still. Um there's, it's also a biblical story, which, you know, and again, there's a few Bible references here. The fact that it's, you know, water, talk about the flood, the dad's called Noah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. There's also the idea that, you know, these are two types of people living together. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, is it, you know, is there anything to do with that? <laughs> I don't know. The Wilderness Family, that's about a city family living in the wilderness and, and learning to basically be one at nature. That could be to hold to do with the cabin thing in itself still magnolias god that's mainly about gossip right they like gossip a lot i don't know someone dies didn't they uh man from snowy river which is about a guy trying to make money to get his farm up and running and he's stuck between two twin kirk douglases um funny one your y-o-r which is a weird sci-fi about a man trying to find his identity and it's also about a weird medallion as well i think um yeah, so those are some of the films that are like around this mystery film. And there's a nice visual of the sun um, the sun going down through this tree as the sun's setting in, in this place. And it's going through the red leaves um, when really it's actually the curtains in the room, I guess. But it's giving this red glow to this cabin. It's quite cool. And this video just starts out of nowhere and you see a ring. Now, this the whole ring video in this one, I think, is a lot better, to be honest. So you see like this bloody water. Um, there's like a fly on the screen, stuff coming out of this mouth. There's lots of high-pitched screams. There's bodies writhing around like maggots. It's quite Lynchian. There's all these horrible fingers just lying there. There's a burning tree. There's a ladder. It's like dead uh, dead horses, I think they are. Um, or, yeah, dead horses because I know from later. Um, there's like a woman just falling off a cliff and then it's just the well. And yeah, 
it was it was cool um you might notice that there's like seven fingers in it and i think that's to stand for seven days yeah so the phone rings and yeah just in this horribly creepy cabin and you know that's it so she's yeah that's it she's gonna die right uh so back at home in their apartment the kids going to school um and yeah the mum doesn't even say anything she's just kind of sitting there whatever and again it's raining and they replicate the shot which i think the original ring did better but with the um kid and the dad kind of standing looking at each other from either side of the frame showing visually that distance between them um and then yeah uh the dad comes in and he's like oh you know can you watch this tape everyone's like yeah, yeah fine fine i watch it jesus you know what's your what's your problem and as she goes out to the balcony it's interesting so it's like so she's looking at um people she's looking across at other apartments they're all watching tv and their tv is all in the same places now the first place there's like a mum watching tv with a kid again it's a bit more family isn't it like she hasn't got that relationship with her kid it doesn't feel like you realize that tvs are everywhere so there's like a threat like it could come from anywhere um and really it's weird because you're watching a screen which is showing watching a screen which is the point of view of someone watching through a glass screen um to a tv that's going on the background so there's a lot of like layers that's kind of going on there so it kind of gives that sense of like what what's real like what's the show because it's almost like it's a the tv is a mini mini tv in a bigger tv which is their apartment right um and also like the fact that it's a point of view shot it's just to make this even clearer so it's the idea again of boundaries of of screens um and all this stuff and how there's an element of safety there so when this woman comes out to have a smoke and they look at each other it looks a bit off and the reason why is that she's essentially come out of that reality of that screen and there's then they're looking at each other because now there's this weird thing they're in like this they're in the joint reality almost if that makes sense so for me that's quite an important scene it would have been very like people probably dismiss it as nothing but it's quite indicative of the whole film and and why um and that question of like what's real what's reality what's you know pushing the borders um the the fact that we have safety in that when we know things are closed in and when that breaks down that makes us uncomfortable and it's scary in itself so yeah it's interesting um it's also the element like we compartmentalize ourselves we don't you know we don't like we like having boundaries like the fact that they're all next to each other but they're all living these separate lives they're not interacting with each other you know it's interesting it's interesting you know and the fact that these are being turned down and they get more torn down during the course of the film it just shows you know we're not safe they're not safe on screen and it makes you feel a little bit uneasy about your safety as well it's interesting so the dad comes out and he's like, that's a very student film, he said, which is quite funny. Um, and the phone rings, but they don't pick up. Then she makes, then she makes a copy. So she sees that she has a voicemail, but she deletes it. So when they put in the tape in, um, the codes in the display are all messed up. And, you know, kind of showing us it's more of a supernatural thing. And even when it's paused, it feels like the fly is moving. Um, they push the image a bit to see if they can get more of a visual, but, you know, she wants to do it. And they have this little like moment between them. And then this girl comes over, uh, kisses him and walks off. Um, and so Naomi Watts is like, yeah, I'm out of here. Like, I'm not going to stay around while your girlfriend is fucking here. 
Um, it's like, oh, right, no, it's going to show it to her. And it, she's like, I don't want her to see the tape. Like, if this thing's actually killing people, I don't want more people to see it. Um, but obviously he's a bit more reluctant to believe. He's like, yeah, whatever, Jesus. So it's good because you feel like their lack of a relationship is a bit more believable. Like, he's more of a pretty idiot, basically. Um, and you can see why they don't get on, whereas you can't really see that in the first film. But here you're just like, they clearly, you know, there's a history here and you really feel like it. Um, so as she walks out, she sees this big ladder and, he, and this guy's like, hey, careful, it's bad luck. And you're like, oh, right, yeah. So that's quite funny. So again, it's kind of, you know, it's reminding you that Samara's around constantly. This video's around. It's all like, you know, it's all creeping into like the real world. It's, you know, it's interesting. Um, so we're now in the madhouse and we see the friend kind of being wheeled by and they've got a screen up so she can't see the TV, but she's like trying to get a, a peep almost. I'm not sure if it's like she's drawn to it or she's just wary of it or whatever, I'm not sure. And yeah, so she sits down with Naomi Watts and when their hands touch, the friend can tell that she's been cursed, right? So she doesn't really help her in any which way. Um so yeah, Naomi Watts starts looking at the tape more and more and she she kind of pulls the image of the tape. She sees a lighthouse. Uh, and then she sees the fly appear on the screen again and she is literally able to pull it out of the screen. And that's pretty cool. Quite like that. It's like, oh man, that's wicked. So now realities are kind of melding together, right? Um, and her nose starts bleeding and, you know, that's a kind of classic thing of like, you know, oh, the brain can't deal with it. <laughs> Almost like this is not supposed to physically happen. It's having a physical effect to you. So it's all pretty cool. Um, and so she gets a book on America's lighthouses and I quite like montages like this. It's quite funny. And luckily within 10 seconds, she's found the exact lighthouse she's looking for. <laughs> Same angle as well and everything. Um, you know, it's quite funny. So she researches the lighthouse and she finds out a bit more about the people that are staying there. And I think it's Anna Morgan is her name. And sees that you know she likes horses oh lovely and then we see the horses dead on the beach which is like the one on the video no one knew why you find out anna killed herself and the horses got better and that she was also at a psychiatric hospital and then suddenly you notice that she's been drawing over anna's picture um of her face and like the ones that she saw at the beginning with her cousins um like all the pictures scratched out so that's pretty cool. Again, it's kind of like little reminders, little things here and there, little surprises. Um, the dad is on a security camera, like buying cigarettes or whatever. It's like, they'll kill you, you know? Like, what? Cigarettes, they'll kill you. Um, and he looks up and he realizes in the security camera thing that his face is all mucked up. And she's like, the woman working there is like, that's weird. So I think the dad's now like, okay, something's, something's going on here. So Naomi Watts comes back and she sees... Um, the babysitter in front of like a static TV asleep. All this stuff again, it's like usually it would be quite innocent, but now it's become a threat. Um, her kid, uh, Aiden, I think his name is, is asleep. And again, raining and she's trying to uh, drink a glass of water and she coughs up hair. Um, and then there's loads of water coming from the phone. It seems to not, but it's not hair. In fact, it's like a medical suction thing, which they give you at psychiatric hospital um so then there's this um kind of sequence where she goes into aiden's room and she sees a girl um she sees a girl there in water or whatever and you know then touches her arm and she gets transported to like a ward and you know now naomi watts is seeing like all these tests happen 
It's like, oh, oh no. And anyway, when she comes out, like those hand marks remain, it's like a burn. And then anyway, suddenly she notices the kid is watching the video and you can kind of hear it. You can kind of hear it happening before um, she goes in. So it's a bit less of a shock than it is in the first film, um, the original. And I think it works a lot better there than it does here, but still cool. Um, anyway, and then she calls and she's like, he watched the tape, he watched the tape. Who? Our son. So in case you didn't figure out that he's the dad, you now know that he's the dad. There we go. Um, so the dad and the kid have a chat about, you know, him being a dad. And he's like, look, I didn't think I'd make a good father. So, you know, um, I think I'd be a bad dad. And it's like, there's part of me thinking, what, just trying to be a dad is worse than, <laughs> he, he thinks is worse than just not being there. <laughs> Ridiculous, but fine. Um, I think there's an element here where in this scene, they're trying to make him a bit more appealable to the audience because essentially he's just walked out on his kid and, you know, the mum. Um, and they're trying to make it be like, no, 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 it's just because he's insecure. And it's like, mm, it doesn't really work. Um, so then Rachel, uh, Naomi Watts, um, goes through the kid's notepad and she sees it's a lot of images from the, the video. So it's a bit scary. And she does a bit of research on Anna Morgan and it seems like this woman was happy and then suddenly something changes and she ends up in a loony bin. And now it's like, you know, she's only got one, one day left basically. Um, and you know, before you die, you see the ring. So yeah, she's kind of researching stuff. She notices an article about, about a daughter that Anna Morgan had a daughter. Um, so she's on this ferry and then she sees a horse in a thing and she tries to calm it, but the horse like, kicks off. And what I don't get here is like, what are you doing? Just leave the horse alone. Like the horse is literally backing away, being like, she's like, no, no, it's okay, come here. It's like, what are you doing? Just leave it alone. The horse is like going crazy. Like, no, no, no. Whoa, whoa, calm down. It's like, it doesn't want you to be there. Stop trying to touch it, for God's sake. Back away. Anyway, runs off the ferry. And it almost hits her, actually. It's basically, and then it jumps into the sea and dies. And then you see it all get chopped up at the back of the... <laughs> thing and it's like the image from the video so you could so we know the video is like kind of showing the future and the past and all this stuff it's interesting um meanwhile the dad is trying to break into the records of this psychiatric hospital um and to get stuff on anna morgan uh we see a fly again flies seem to be everywhere again to do with like death i think maybe um and also the fact that you know those kind of uh, the humans are wriggling around like um maggots and you know i think that's that element of like well that's how um you know we're seen as humans is like these maggots writhing around and what's the maggot turn into but a fly that's one of the you know interpretations of the images anyway and um yeah so rachel goes to um the morgan farm and the guy there i think it's brian cox um yeah, says, oh yeah, most of those horses like killed themselves by running to shore and drowning, basically, but he doesn't breed them anymore. So that's it, done. As she's walking around, she notices the mirror that was in the video. Um, and, and then she looks back and he's holding this cook, uh, cook? He's holding a hook and she suddenly feels quite threatened and, you know, rightly so, because he's, he's like took a bit of a turn. Um, and yeah, he seems to know about the tape, gets a bit more forthright with her. And he's like, I don't have a daughter. Um, which is interesting and comes into play a bit later as well, um, you know, when he's questioned about daughter. And as she goes outside, she sees the window from the video and then realises it's the same that the son drew as well. Um, and I think it's the dad, this guy, 
kind of turning away. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. So back in the hospital, we see some, uh, there's some Japanese writing actually in, in some of this, which I think is a little nod to the original, obviously. And there's a l- list of like miscarriages and all this stuff. And there's loads of weird x-ray things which actually have like actual images on, which look a bit surreal. So Rachel is going to see this um, doctor and there's this kid there who's just like silently drawing rings and holes. It says a little girl told him to draw it. It's all a bit weird. And that she shows him things. So again, kind of, reminding you that Samara is always around. And yeah, so the doctor there says how the Morgans were trying for a child for ages and they went away to some doctor and came back and that's when things started to go wrong and says Samara actually had a negative effect on all their lives. But since she's been gone, life has been a lot better, it sounds like. So again, back in the hospital, we see that there's a videotape missing or something that, that Noah, the dad, is looking for. And he tells people that he's Richard Morgan, who's like super old now as Brian Cox. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I look great. I just work out, whatever. Um, and they're like, oh, the video's gone. Who last took it out? Well, according to this, you did. And he's like, oh, uh, whoopsie. Obviously he didn't, um, but it's been covered up. So Rachel goes back to see Mr. Morgan and basically just breaks in and sees one of the things that um, she coughed up, actually one of those medical things. And then she sees the centipede again. I think that was in the video. Um, and also finds the tape that Noah, the dad, was just looking for in the previous scene. And then we just see there's this poor little girl just in a room without anything. And yeah, meanwhile, whilst all this is happening, there's this cool shot with that having the lighthouse light go by. It's like sweeping light. Um, and also like just having the door open behind it just gives that sense of depth and of danger as well that could just sneak up on any second. And yeah, so Morgan, the, she's basically watching it and it's all like, it's all really creepy and there's this doctor um, there talking to her and it's just like this poor little girl. So there's a bit more sympathy here. She's actually a little girl here. She's not like this teenager um, than it is in the, uh, the original ring. Um, Morgan like attacks Rachel and he's like, my wife was not supposed to have a child and all this stuff. Again, is kind of reinforcing the, this idea that maybe like this... Uh, Samara is like a demon baby or something like that. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, and he talks about, you know, he hears all these whispers and then he got, we basically go into the bathroom. He's got all these TVs connected. Again, it's screens, TVs and all this stuff. And he basically goes into the bathroom and kills himself. So again, he's dead by water, really. Water and TVs. Um, perfect for the ring. And so anyway, they... Um, uh, the dad Noah arrives and they look in the barn and they see this ladder one long one leading up to the top of the barn where she must have must have lived again it's from the video so it's and when they get to the top there's this little seat and this little tv and it's all very it's all very creepy but quite cool um and then yeah they find some like weird thing in the wood behind the wallpaper they, and they tear it down and they see the red tree where the cabin was and I think there's this idea that she was like can make things appear like in like burns things into images or whatever. I don't know. So they go to the cabin and you might notice here that it says like, Oh, it's closed for the summer or something. And the reason why is there's actually a deleted scene where that creepy magician guy from before has got killed by Samara. Um, so he's supposed to be dead really here, but they didn't actually show that scene. They cut it out. Cause I think they thought it was too distracting. And I think it's the idea that the dad went there to talk to him or something. And found out he's dead. I don't know. So anyway, they go to the cabin and there's some awful acting, this guy, but whatever. And they pull up this mat and they see there's like a ring underneath the mat. Um, 
So you get an axe and underneath is a well. It's almost built on top of this well perfectly. The well's a bit cooler here. It's much deeper. Um, and yeah, the TV is flickering. There's water starting to come from it in the cabin. And it's starting to like push the nails up underneath the floorboards, which is interesting. And then anyway, suddenly all of a sudden loads of flies buzz up, which is pretty cool. And Rachel is basically thrown down. The TV knocks her into the actual well. It's a bit like Home Alone, actually. It's quite funny. And then, yeah, the same thing. She kind of finds fingernails and then suddenly the top is placed back on um, on top of her, which is, must be pretty scary. Uh, Noah and the dad is trying to get her out. And, yeah, there's not long left to go now. So the sun's about to go down and in these series of cool shots. And so, But she's got a torch and she's looking around and then she sees hair and, and the hand. And then we hear this little girl singing um, and we see her face close up and this is a flashback now. And you know, this is the moment where she dies, basically. And, so the, and the, we see the mother come up from behind and pull a bag over her face and it throws her into the well. Um, so the mother killed her in the, in this version, which I think is a bit cooler as well. Um, and yeah, it's just in time to see um, uh, see the uh, cover be put over the top um, and it, there's like a light around it, around this cover. And so what does it look like? It looks like a ring and like the ring that's in, you know, the video and all this stuff. Uh, so that was quite cool. Um, so anyway, yeah, back in the world, she sees this body floating up and uh, yeah, it looks fine. What's wrong with it? It's not a corpse. So she cuddles it, wipes its brow, and then it kind of melts to reveal the skeleton. I thought it was quite cool. Um, yeah, and she kind of just basically lets it go. And suddenly there's just a shot of her alone, just cold down there, which is quite cool. So yeah, the police come and then Rachel doesn't understand why the mum would have done it. Like, why would the mum, like, why would Anna kill her daughter? Um, and uh, yeah, and it's like, you know, the daughter just wanted to be heard. That's why. And then anyway, because she said that, she realises it's like her son, basically. And she's like, oh, I just, I just want to go home. Because obviously that's what they were talking about in the beginning, about how he just wants to be heard and there's different ways of being heard, etc. And there's this little lame bit. It's like, how long can you survive down a well like that? Seven days, she answers. All right, so there you go. So it gives that seven days a bit more of a meaning, doesn't it? Um, yeah, anyway, whatever. So then they all go home and Noah's like asleep on the floor, like he's been shot or something. The dad, um, sorry, the uh, Oh, we'll get confused. Aiden's the kid, sorry. The dad picks him up um, and, yeah, and, and it's nice, this little bit, so it makes him look a bit more like of a family. And, yeah, the kid, Aiden, um, sees them holding hands. That's quite sweet. And, you know, they seem to be a bit more together now, right? So maybe the dad's grown up a bit, found the importance of family, almost lost, you know, everyone, basically, and now he's better. Um, yeah, so she has a shower and she's in bed with her kid and chatting and, you know, and this is the morning now. And it's like, oh, yeah, tomorrow she's been set free. We helped her. It's like, why did you help her? You weren't supposed to help her, idiot. <laughs> like, don't you understand? She never sleeps. And then, so, again, it's quite cool. It does it in a different way. The first one does where it's like, this is all nice. It's kind of like a nice ending. And then she's like, <laughs> the way the kid's like, what the fuck? She's like a killer. She kills people. Why are you helping her? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess. Like... <laughs> I didn't know what else to do, did we? Um, I love that. It's just so, so funny. And uh, yeah, and again, it's kind of that idea of, you know, don't trust anything. Don't trust anything. So now we see the dad and um, we see the well 
come up on the screen. Phone's ringing. We know it's Rachel, but um, yeah, he's not answering it. So we see Samara crawl out. And I like the cuts and the weird feedback thing that's kind of static thing that's going on. Um, and it makes it a bit more active by her trying to like, you know, the way she kind of like jump cuts essentially like further and further out. Um, it's a bit too CG, but you know, it's fine. Um, I like the fact that she's all moldy as well. That's good. And yeah, the jump forward was a, it was a big shock at the time. It looks a bit dated now, but at the time no one had really done that before this like sudden jump forward. And that was really cool. Um, her face isn't really as scary as you ask me and the eye doesn't really work as well, but whatever. So yeah, she goes over and now he, he's dead. So she's like, the Naomi's like trying to rush around. She keeps calling, like, come on, come on, pick up, pick up. And I guess like when she gets there and sees, we kind of want to see his face, but we don't see it. Um, and instead she watches the student go in, which must have been horrible. So she realizes her son, that means her son is still in danger. So um, yeah, so anyway, she uh, goes back home. She burns this tape. She's like, oh, hi, I don't get it. And then she realizes, doesn't she? She sees a reflection. It's like, oh, is that tape under the chair? I made a copy. She just wanted to be heard, didn't she? Um, so, yeah, it's quite a, a better way of figuring it out rather than this guy going, look there, you idiot. Um, yeah. And then we also see the reveal of the dad's face here rather than earlier. Um, and it adds a bit more of a shock value, I think, here by just having it appear. Um, so, yeah. And it's quite cool. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so they kind of make this copy. You you know, you kind of wonder what happens to them. Um, and yeah, it, it, the way it ends makes it like you're the one who's just seen it. So now like you're in danger. That makes sense. And it's a really cool way to end it, I think. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so directed by Gore Verbinski. Went on to do Pirates of the Caribbean, it's weird. So the budget was an estimated $48 million for this, which feels like a lot, but um, it went on to make almost $250 million worldwide. Apparently it sold more than 2 million DVD copies in the US alone 24 hours after its home release. Um, and it's quite cool on the DVD, you get the actual cursed video and there's some extra bits, I think, that's actually on the DVD. And um, yeah, you kind of got a... Uh, you kind of got to do this cool little thing sequence to kind of get it to even appear in the first place. And your remote control is disabled whilst it's playing. You can't stop it, pause it, fast forward it or anything. It's just, it just plays. So you're forced to watch the whole thing. And then when it's over and the DVD returns to the menu, you hear a phone ring twice before you get given the remote control again. Really fucking cool way of doing it on the DVD. Um, apparently the red tree is a Japanese maple and its fruit is known as Samara. How about that? Um, apparently there's some subliminal frames of rings that kind of jump in and out throughout the film, like when the horse is chopped up in the, by the ferry, that's apparently in there. Um, other actresses considered for the role were Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Beckinsdale. That would have been quite interesting, some of those. Um, and yeah, you imagine that the child was an accident of some sort, or maybe the fact that it's like, oh, they went to a doctor and came back pregnant. Did they steal a child? Did they, you know, make a deal with the devil or something like that? Um, but yeah, the idea as well, um, for, well, for the book and, you know, the fact that it's called Ring isn't just because of the ring of the well as such, but because the plot is essentially a circle. It doesn't actually end. It just keeps going. It just continues, which I thought was quite cool. Um, apparently the images in the video were based on Andrew Wyeth paintings. And I think if you Google that, you can see it. It's quite muted 
very stark yet picturesque in its own way. Um, some have said that uh, the theory is that the death is actually a result from all the images of the tape being pushed through at once and essentially overloading the victim, um, hence the flashes you see as they die. And, and also when we see them, they look like they might have been burnt or shocked to death electronically. Uh, so that might, some, that might all play into the same thing. Um, and also I feel like the horse eye is prominent which if you remember is about the horses being driven insane by Samara. So maybe it's a shock of pure insanity. Basically, they just go insane. It's interesting. There's obviously lots of circles throughout the film, what people wear and what's going on. And really this began a real influx of J-horror remakes, including there's Dark Water, The Grudge, One Miss Call and all this stuff, um, because this did so well. And yeah, so there's a, apparently Nensha is the psychic ability to burn things onto solid surfaces. Hence, when the kids are recording the game, she's actually burning her stuff onto the tape. And then you see it with the x-ray stuff and then the red tree in the wood and things like that. Um, there's a little rear window reference. If you know that little bit I was saying earlier with the balcony, I thought that was quite cool. Uh, apparently David Lynch, funny enough, was actually initially approached as director, but he said, no, um, that little video is quite Lynchian, but it'd be weird to see what you would have done with something like this as well. Um, it's, uh, and this is quite interesting, this bit, it's often, and I'm going to read it out verbatim uh, because it's a theory, um, but it makes sense. It's often incorrectly assumed by viewers that Rachel survived the seven-day week after watching the tape because she showed a copy of it to Noah. She did copy the tape, but she was scheduled to die on a Wednesday because that is when she watched it. Noah is killed on a Thursday, implying that he watched it the previous Thursday, right? Um... Now, <laughs> Rachel never showed Noah the copy until Friday. He died because he watched the original tape and never copied it to show anyone else. Rachel survived because Aiden watched the copy that she made. So it's actually her son saved her, not Noah. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? When Rachel goes to visit Becca in the psychiatric home, she tells her she has four days left. And this scene happens after Rachel gave Noah the copy but before Aidan watched it, implying that at that point in the film, Rachel was still in danger. So that's clever, isn't it? Um, I didn't think about that. And when it makes perfect sense now, as I'm looking at it. Um, so I think it's the idea that there was no no doctor, that this is kind of some demonic baby. I think they kind of talk about this in two, um, but I kind of dismiss that in my head. And I just like the idea that, yeah, maybe there was like some weird stuff going on. Um, with demons and stuff. Uh, again, Noah, great flood, seven days, biblical, you know, God made the world in seven days, etc. Um, the fly, yeah, so like the maggots in the video turn into adult humans riding around. I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe it's because they're trapped in their own watery hell. Maybe they all came back as flies. Um, also, like when they open the world and loads of flies come up, I guess it's the circle of life and death, right? The maggots have been feeding on the body, that gave them life and they turn into flies and so on and so forth. Essentially, maybe flies and maggots being the, um, uh, being the circle of life, <laughs> a bit different from Lion King. Um, it's a living continu continuation of Samara's body, isn't it? Really? All these flies feeding off her body and maggots feeding off the flies, etc. Um, so yeah. Is it because they've got like a short lifespan as well? <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's set in Seattle, which is by the sea. Um, and, yeah, it's a bit like Silent Hill, isn't it, really? And it's the, you know, the idea of what people find disturbing 
like disfigurements in the human form, etc., uh, that does unsettle people, and that's kind of what you have with Samara, um, but also in the in the video. Um, but yeah, that's kind of why Silent Hill was really popular in terms of the games, was because they looked at what not scary things, but like the psychology behind being scared. It's quite interesting. Um, yeah, what else? Uh, I feel like there's less urgency in this one than in the original Ring. I didn't feel like there was a ticking clock as much um, here. It's a bit more humour focused as well. And, you know, if you think about it, the first 55 minutes is the first six days. Um, yeah, which is strange. Uh, and then the whole last day is, yeah, that last hour or so. Um, the video, I felt like in the first movie, was consistent and were kind of clues to what was going on. But in the remake, it kind of foretold the future and I think I think it changed depending on the viewership who was looking at it. So, I mean, literally the tape is like almost like a spiritual thing as well. It's not literally images burnt on a tape. The fact that, you know, they're putting flies out of it. It's its own like living, breathing thing, which I thought was a much cooler idea than the first one. Um, having Samara's natural child, though, I feel like doesn't really work for me. It was less, it was less freaky, I think, and... Yeah, I think that it's a lot better having her as like a teenager because there's something a bit more, I don't, like children, freaky children works or doesn't work. It doesn't really work here. It'd be much better if she was actually like a threatening adult, even if it is still a teenage girl or whatever, um, rather than just being like a little teenage, sorry, like a little girl, like child, basically. I don't think that is that freaky. Um, anyway, as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah, essentially same thing again, like, Aiden and Samara both like neglected children. I was thinking like, is the world like a symbol for depression? Maybe like you can't get up. Um, I don't know. Uh, and it's like social media now, right? You know, we share, we feel like we need to be heard. Um, one interesting fact is that Chris Cooper was supposed to be in the movie. Um, and it got cut out at the beginning and the end. And I think for the better, because it apparently became a bit of a distraction. People were like, who the heck, why is Chris Cooper not in anymore? Um, apparently, Fabinski tried as much as possible to remove all the characters' shadows. So they looked like they were floating a little bit. That's quite interesting. And yeah, if you look at the colour palette here, like the first one, first film, very muted. But with this one, there's a lot of blues and greens and it's basically like water. So I thought that was, that was quite cool. It's something that was a bit different. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Is it like, I was thinking, is it anti-piracy? Is it like, is she a result of technology? Technology created her through video form or something like that. So yeah, that's it really. That's both rings. I think in summary, uh, I like the first ring a lot and I think it is more of a nineties thriller, but looking back at it, the ring remake, I think is a better film. And I didn't think that before. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening to this guys. And thank you for being a patron as well. It means a lot. And yeah, you can always contact us via, um, Patreon if you want, or you can email us newwinterpodcast.gmail.com, Instagram, Twitter, at a new winter. And yeah, I'd be interested in what you guys think, what you think was the better one. So yeah, let me know. See ya. Culture.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.